left, you better back up. We don't have enough road to get up to 88. Roads. We're going, we don't need roads. Science fiction is an existential metaphor. It allows us to tell stories about the human condition. Isaac Asimov once said, individual science fiction stories may seem as trivial as ever to the blinder critics and philosophers of today. But the core of science fiction, its essence has become crucial to our salvation. Tell me how many lights you see. There are four lights! So this is how liberty dies. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. And good evening, I am Miles P. McLaughlin. Hi, I'm M. Ciro Garcia. I'm Chrissy Raffensperger. And I'm Dave Sellers. And tonight, we are continuing our journey through the Star Trek pilots that we uh, began with the first two episodes, the original pilot, and then the one that actually sold the show uh, with the original series. And tonight we are doing the animated series, the pilot and the one that followed immediately after it. And um, yeah, so we, we have that, but we do have with us, Miles, um, uh, Dave and Chrissy, a very special guest that we've all had a chance to meet over the years and had a chance to get to know and uh, has, the honor of being the probably the most returning guest on our show uh, because of his work with Shore Leave. Mr. Mike Schilling is a part of publicity at Shore Leave, and uh, we are grateful and ecstatic that he's able to be here with us, with everyone here on the Sci-Fi Diner. Mike, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much for having me on. It's a great pleasure to be on. Thanks for inviting me. A little bit different this year because typically we have you on and we are uh, touting uh, all the praises of Shore Leave and who we're looking forward to seeing this year at Shore Leave. And, uh, oh, by all means, keep praising, keep praising. <laughs> well, we and we do praise Shore Leave, but this year it's a little bit different. We don't have a convention coming up, do we? No, I'm afraid not, but I like to tell people it's not canceled. It is merely postponed. That sounds a lot better, doesn't it? It does. It does. So, uh, can you can you tell us a well, little? Believe me, it was. You know, I was going. I was going to say, just can you tell us a little bit about? Uh, you were watching COVID come down the pike, and you, you were obviously probably tracking other conventions. And um, how difficult was the process in making this to uh, making the decision for short leave to? postpone, as you say, till another year? Well, believe me, it was it was pretty heart-rending for, for so many of us. I mean, the decision really didn't come down until maybe two months ago. Um, I think we were, especially me, I mean, I can't speak for everybody on our committee, but I know that we were holding out hope, especially me, for a long time. I kept figuring, maybe we can pull this off. Maybe we can pull this off. But, you know, because surely it's such a huge part of all of our lives. You know, we've spoken many, many years together, Scott, about, you know, what an emotional experience it is and how much we look forward to it every year and how much of ourselves we put into the convention every year. So 
you know, a part of me, you know, said, you know, let's try, let's try to do it. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it'll work. Right. But then I had these hard images in my head of empty hallways and guests not showing up, especially the more elderly ones who would be, you know, in a, a much greater degree of danger at a time like this and people walking around in masks and all the, the social interaction that we, you know, that we've come to expect at a small scale convention like ours, all the, the glad handing and the shaking of hands and hugging and all that. I mean, none of that would really happen had we gone ahead and done the convention. And that really wouldn't have felt like shore leave at all to me. And I think you'll all agree with that. So as painful as it was for all of us, there really was no, there really was no other choice. Uh, the only real question became, when can we move it to? Can we try to find another date later in the year? How far can we push it back? Is the hotel going to be open? So there, there was much to be considered, you know, before we could actually officially put up notice on the Shore Leave website about what we were doing. So there was certainly a lot of, a lot of buzz and a lot of concern and a lot of messages coming through the message boards about what we were doing and what's going to happen, especially as we saw our brother and sister conventions kind of fall to the wayside one by one. In fact, Shirley was like just about the last convention standing in the summer. It was. But we were we were holding out as long as we could. It's not a matter of us not caring for the health and well being of our attendees. It's it's that it was hoping against hope that maybe things would change. But as it became more and more apparent it wasn't going away anytime soon, it forced us into finally making that decision. So believe me, it was not easy, but we also knew there was no real way to avoid it. Right. So, uh, surely you you mentioned it's postponed. What, uh, when did you postpone it to? We're literally going to use the exact same weekend next year. Okay. Uh, because you see, we literally make deals with the Hunt Valley Inn, uh, years in advance setting aside these dates in July to make sure no one takes these, this weekend from us and everything. Sometimes we take it two, three, four years ahead of time, depending on our contract with the hotel. And uh, when a weekend proved to be unavailable later on in the fall and into the, into the winter, which is what we originally tried, but unfortunately no weekends were available for us, we finally said, let's just go with next year's date, July 9, 10, 11. 2021. Right. But we're still going to call it surely 42 though. Right. You know, because we've got, you know, we were working on a program book designs and shirt designs and badge designs. We're just going to use everything we were already working on. It's just, it's still going to be surely 42, which is going to be delayed one year. Right. So instead of us getting together right now and bouncing off the wall saying, surely there's only three weeks away. Now it's 55 weeks away. (laughs) (laughs) What are you going to do? Right. Um, Mm -hmm. So, but we are, you know, we're still very, very excited. Um, A lot of the planning is already going full blast for next year's show. Um, We are not going to let this, this COVID situation lick us. We are going to keep on going and push very, very hard to make next year's show. Basically, how shall I describe it? Like a, like a grand fandom reunion in a way. Okay. I mean, already there are so many times where a lot of us don't see each other except at Shore Leave. Well, 
with the intervening year, I think next year, if everything should go the way we hope it will, that next year's show should be a very joyous experience yeah. when we're finally able to do this again. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Um, um, Dave, Chrissy, uh, Miles, uh, questions for Dave about shore leave or about the upcoming year for shore leave and what this means for shore leave. Yeah. So you had a very impressive guest list this year. Yeah. Are these, thank, yeah. Thank you. That mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, had these guests um, said, okay, we understand, you know, the virus, it, it is what it is. Uh, we'll be back next year or say, well, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, any, any of them give a commitment to staying on, you know, be, being here for next year? I'm very, very happy to let everybody out there at the Sci-Fi Diner know that all of the guests who were advertised for this year have agreed to join us for next year. All of them. Nice. That is awesome. So we've already got we've already got all ten. You know. So now, of course, we cannot take into account professional commitments. You never know who you're going to you know lose at the last second, but that's part and parcel of running a convention, right? Mm-hmm. But as that's why we waited a little bit to put word out on the website because first a couple said yes, and then our our guest relations people and our convention chairs were working on them one by one, and then finally we got word that they're all in. So we don't have to start from square one on finding guests for next year. They're already set. That's awesome. That's so fantastic. If you were looking forward to seeing all these wonderful guests, yes, it's a little bit. It's going to take a little longer than we would have liked. But yes, all the all the guests for this summer are coming back next year. We get to meet Superman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, yeah. hopefully. So, and of course, you know, we should expect. I mean, it's not official yet, but you know, Ingo, one of our con chairs, who you you know you guys know very well, she's already working with our usual gaggle of writers and scientists. So I feel very very confident that. You know, all those wonderful, you know, writers and scientists that we have every year will also join us for next year as well. That's awesome. So, um, yeah, it'll be like surely 42 only delayed one year. So, um, so there are certain elements of next year's show that have already fallen into place. And as far as my vantage point and, you know, as far as publicity is concerned, every single one, and that includes you guys, of our, our press squad, or as I like to call them, the usual suspects, <laughs> um, you know, they're, they're all in for next year. Nobody has, has said no. Naturally, everybody had a very similar reaction. You know, we, you know, we feel bad that this had to happen, but they weren't angry about it. They understood what our reasoning was, and they'll all be joining us next year, too. Yeah. So, um, you know, so that's wonderful, too. So that literally gives us a jump on the planning for next year. Right. And I don't know how much time we have to, dis- time we have to discuss this, but, um, this coming, uh, July 10, 11, 12, where surely would have been, we're going to have what you might call surely 42.5. We're going to have ourselves a virtual surely. Yeah. I was going to ask you about it. It's listed on the website as uh, surely 41.5 virtual experience. Uh, so what, what, what is this going to look like? Do we know? I mean, right now the website's kind of sketching the details, but tell us a little bit about what we can expect of this, uh, 
this fan experience. All right. Well, I can't give you too much in the way of details right now, but I can tell you that we're planning on, you know, we are basically doing what some of our brother and sister conventions have been doing of late. I know Balticon did this, and I know a few other conventions in the area are doing something very similar, um, having this virtual programming, some a little more, some a little less. I know that we're going to have some fan panels. I know that we're going to have some writer talks. I know we're going to have a couple of science presentations. In fact, and I'm not quite sure how they're going to work this out, but they're actually going to have a virtual masquerade, too. People are going to be sending in their videos and their pictures. We're going to have ourselves a little masquerade presentation. I don't know if they're going to do it 8 o'clock on Saturday night like it always was, but um, they are working hard to pull this together. Now, uh, me being a very old-school, you know, old-technology kind of guy, I can't even begin to figure out how they're doing this or using what platforms. But they are very serious about this, and they are going ahead. So that's surely Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. There is going to be programming online. Um, and I believe there's going to be some additional activities spread out through the rest of the summer. But as far as what specific activities, that probably won't fall into place for a while yet. All I can say uh, for you guys and for, you know, all of your your listeners out there in the diner is to keep checking the Shoreleave website because information is going to start coming up soon. After all, that would have been just three weeks from now as we as we have this conversation that the news will have to come out soon. Right. So there is definitely going to be some virtual programming and that seems to be the way most large-scale conventions are going these days yeah everything is is going online it's not quite the same as being there live but it's better than no shore leave at all and i'm pretty excited about it yeah and if for, for those of you listening for those of you listening short short-leave.com while that information or you can follow them on facebook i'm sorry I interrupted someone uh who is talking there i'm sorry okay. So this is me. Um, I don't know if my phone picked up my voice right away. Um, I do actually have a very short question. So are you guys able to work with a lot of the vendors for this virtual um, con? Because I guess what I'm concerned about for them is that I know a lot of people who come and sell stuff, you know, that's, that's part of their income every year. It's part of their livelihood. And I'm sure they're really a hurting. A part, yeah. Um, yeah, so Mike, are so, you able oh, to yes. work? In fact, it's very interesting that you should bring that up. And again, I don't know the particulars because that's not really my my forte. But I do know that they are working on a way of, as you know, most of our memorabilia dealers have their own websites. And a lot of them are going to be offering special discounts on Shirley Weekend. Now, who specifically is doing it and what level? of discount there's going to be. It has not been said yet. But I do know in the Shirley committee meetings that we've had, that has definitely been a, been a subject uh, that has been addressed. So I know that they want to do something with the vendors on Shirley weekend. But I regret that I really, it's not that I, I'm keeping any secrets or anything. Right. I literally just don't know the details. Right. But I do know they are working on on making that happen on Shirley weekend. So whatever, um, 
regular dealers or online that choose to participate in virtual programming, I'm sure they'll arrange some kind of an online coupon or something to have surely participants, you know, make some purchases from them. Um, so that is something we would definitely would like to do. I just don't quite for the life of me know exactly how that's going to be worked out. Right. But I do know it's something that they definitely want to do, yes. Very good. And I see, too, as one, one final thing before we move into uh, talking about the animated series. Uh, I see that you're doing this, uh, that, that your partner uh, cons are also going to be contributing in some way. Farpoint and Balticon will also, they say, contribute to the programming of these activities. Um, anything you can tell us about that, or is that basically all that we know at this point? Well, our dear friends at uh, Farpoint were fortunate enough to be able to have their convention right before, you know, the bottom fell out, so to speak. So, um, but yes, I definitely know that the uh, Farpoint people and the Balticon people are assisting with this. Um, again, I don't the technical particulars of how they're doing this, but we are definitely collaborating with each other. Um, as far as the various people in each convention that are experienced on how to host, you know, events such as these and to, um, assist with, um, online programming. Good. Again, the, the particulars aren't really known yet, but they are definitely helping out. And believe me, we're very grateful to have, you know, and it's very gratifying to see all the uh, local conventions come together like that and, and help each other out during this. Uh, during this very, very difficult time. But yes, we are getting getting some help from our friends with those those other conventions that happen locally. Very good, very good. So well, even though it's going to be quite a, quite a ways off in the future, and I know usually we have our long segment and everything about shore leave, usually this time of the year, usually just with Scott in the afternoon, and it's recorded for later, so it's not really quite the same, but um, it's good to know that everybody's pulling together and that we are, um, working hard to make sure that, you know, there's going to be an amazing convention come next July, you know, same bat time, same bat channel, good old Hunt Valley Inn, just push back one year. That's all, um, would have liked to have been maybe a little bit earlier, but it, just, you know, it just didn't work out that way. So, um, hopefully by next July and things are or more under control where people are able to greet each other and, you know, have that wonderful fan experience that we've all come to expect from, from the world of surely. And it's, it's something that we're all going to work very hard to, to make happen. It's just a matter of just holding on until next summer rolls around. Right. Um, but we will get there together though. Right. Dave M. Miles, Chrissy, any, uh, any other questions for uh, Mike about Shirley before we move into the animated series? Nah, everything I wanted was answered already. Good. good. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm just waiting to find out. Um, I'm keeping an eye on the hotel to make my hotel reservations. I know that that might take a bit, so I'm being patient. And it's a good thing we have this conversation because I just remembered to cancel my hotel in the middle of our conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's right. You know, folks were still, I mean, we're, we were handling the moving over of the uh, the memberships to the convention, hopefully to next year. But as far as the hotel, we told everybody online, you've got to contact the hotel yourself to cancel that reservation. Right. But 
Uh, more than likely, I would say by October, you know, you'll see a blurb on the website saying, all right, it's time to get your register, you know, your make your um, reservations for next year's shore leave. So believe me, it'll be here before you know it. Right. And believe me, all of us in the shore leave committee are extremely grateful for all of you at the Sci-Fi Diner. I mean, we didn't get a chance to discuss this. We have other subjects to cover, but uh, Scott, how many years have we been doing this now? Is this 10 or 11 years we've had this talk? It's 11. Yeah, it's a, it's 11 years. 11 years? Yeah. And nobody else in the Sci-Fi Diner has called in that many times? I don't think so. Uh, Dayton, Dayton Ward might be close. John Fraze might be close, but I don't think they've called in that like many times. What was that? <laughs> we like him better. Nah, John Fraze? Nah. No, we like this. We, we like Mike <laughs> we better. We have you on more because we like you more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't. Yeah, it's, 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 it's 11 times. So that's 11 times at least. So because we were, uh, I, we interviewed you. We were, we were, ba- we, we were basically a uh, fledgling. We were four or five months old as a podcast and, Mike said, and Miles said, "Hey, let's let's. Why don't we try going to shore leave?" And then he must have contacted you. And said, "Well, why don't we interview him?" And then we got. Then everything just sort of happened. So, but yeah. Well, Mike, I know we have about five minutes before you have to go, and we will introduce the animated series a little bit later. But I think it'd be great before you go to get your thoughts on the very first two episodes of the animated series. Um, and then for those of you listening, we'll go back and give a little bit of a, a miles, give a little bit of a preamble to the series. And then we'll begin to, we'll, you'll get the sci-fi diner thoughts about that, uh, after Mike leaves here in a few minutes, but Mike, go ahead. Tell us uh, some of your thoughts as you watched, um, uh, beyond the farthest star and yesteryear. Well, you really couldn't have picked, uh, two better episodes to, to start off with. Um, I have very little recollection of having watched it when it was first on. I would have been very, very little at the time. Um, I came upon the animated series um, probably, you know, further into the late 70s or the early 80s. What, whatever channel, long before those episodes were ever on tape or ever on disc, whatever TV channel had the right to air them, I would, shall we say, seek them out. Uh, whenever possible, because they weren't always easy to find. But um, I'm always very gratified to hear the animated series getting some love, so to speak. Um, for the longest time, as a longtime fan, as such as myself, um, it seemed like the animated series was either ignored or a lot of fans would kind of turn their nose up at it for a great many years just because it was a cartoon. Um, and that just wasn't fair because granted, there's always certain episodes that are better than others. Uh, and that's true in any series, but, um, when you look at generally the, the quality of writing on that show, um, some of it is as good as anything the original series did, especially when you have episodes like yesteryear written by DC Fontana, I believe, um, if you look at Beyond the Farthest Star, was that a Samuel Peoples script? Yes. Same guy who did Where No Man Has Gone Before, by the way. Um, that is the kind of episode, I mean, granted, 
a lot of people like to say, oh, that animation is just so cheap. It's so chintzy. Well, you have to consider Filmation did a lot of cartoon work in those days. I think Filmation pretty much did every superhero series that was on the air at the time. You know, name a, you know, name a Saturday morning series. They probably did it. So they weren't exactly going for high arc. You know, they were cranking it out. Right. But, you know, the real joy of those episodes is, one, seeing the Enterprise in animation, which is absolutely gorgeous, in my opinion. Uh, the music's very good. In many cases, the writing is outstanding. Um, you know, and particularly with Beyond the Farthest Star, there was a tremendous use of imagination in that episode. The That gorgeous ship, ship that they used that had been floating in space for thousands and thousands of years, you could never do anything like that. Right. You needed animation to a story like that. Um, so that being the first episode, it really gave you a good idea to say, all right, folks, this may be a cartoon, but it still is Star Trek. It still has those characters. It still has the character interplay. It still has the, you know, the great sense of camaraderie that the original series had. So, you know, many, many wonderful episodes out of regrettably only 22 that were ever made. And that really is a shame. But those were two definitely of the of the best episodes. So if you're going to introduce, you know, folks to the animated series, you could hardly do better than that. And I'm just very, very glad that after all these years, I think it took until maybe the early 2000s. I'm not sure when the feeling and when the vibe and fandom started to change. But starting maybe, I don't know, 20 some years ago. fans started looking back at the animated series and saying, Hey, that's actually really good. You know, whereas for many years it was kind of, you know, it was poo pooed. It was put off to the side saying, well, that's not Canon. That's not Canon. Right. I mean, how could anything that has Gene Roddenberry's name on it and William Shatner's name on it and Leonard Moy's name on it, not be Canon. I don't get it, but, (laughs) um, (laughs) but it's really nice that they have, you know that the show is getting the the respect that's long, long overdue. So oh, good. anyway, in a very roundabout way, I guess that was my main point. Right. By the way, they uh, they aired on NBC, so I imagine NBC kind of spun those, you know, over the upcoming years after it was uh, aired. So, but well, very good. Right. I mean, I remember many years later um, they used to. Uh, I think that Nickelodeon. Uh, TV series had the rights for it for a while. Oh, they might. Um, but yeah, the show tended to bounce from place to place. Um, it was a little bit hard to find. And then finally it came out on tape. And of course, they finally, you know, came out with a full scale DVD release. Right. You know, after all these years. So, but for a while, it was kind of hard to find. Yeah. But it was always worth it, though. In fact, to feed that kind of into shore leave just a little bit. Before I was head of publicity for the convention, I ran what was called the video department back then. It really doesn't exist anymore because pretty much everybody has these things at home anyway. But I used to make up the video schedules and all. And when I would make up the schedule for several years running, I would always make sure that I was running a couple of animated episodes, usually on Saturday and sometimes on Sunday too, to lead off my schedule. So that's a nice little extra surely plugged for you. Well, there you go. 
Well, Mike, we do have to let you go. It is eight o'clock and I want to honor that time, but we do appreciate you coming on and especially keeping giving us updates as to what's going on with shore leave and how that decision was made and uh, what we have to look forward in the upcoming months uh, as we uh, kind of uh, go forward. I think you laughed. Well, Mike. guys, it's, it's been a great pleasure hearing from all of you. It's, it's been a long time. All I can say is tell everybody out there in the diner, keep checking that website. There's going to be more and more news all the time about next year. There's going to be a virtual shortly coming up in just a few weeks. Everybody keep an eye out for the news. And um, we just have to get through all this together and support each other. And before you know it, it'll be time to start talking about next year's show. Albeit just a little bit delayed. That's all. And believe me, we appreciate everybody's support. All right, Mike. Hey, thank you so much for joining us. Good talking to you, Mike. All right. Thanks, Take Mike. care, everybody. All right. Okay, be well. Well, it was good. Uh, I, I'm still rolling here, so we'll just pretend like we didn't stop. Uh. So, <laughs> you know, we'll just pretend. Um, oh, it was great having uh, Mike on to talk a little bit about shore leave and uh, get a little bit of respect to what's going on there. That yeah. guy can talk, though. Mm-hmm. Yes, he can. <laughs> One of the best yeah, things. I was, I was really pleased to hear that they're still going to try to do something like online for people and that they're just rolling with it for next year, which is good. Cause that gives them 55 weeks to make it even better. I know. So. Right. And, uh, and it was, it, I was glad to hear your question about the vendors because it is something you think, you know, you don't think about, but so think of how much we spend on vendors when we go there and that's loss of income <laughs> for the uh, vendors. I mean, Dave, I yeah. mean, your pocketbook's yeah. looking for a place to spend money, so I'm glad I have another year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when when you're when you're a social worker, like that's that's the first that's where your brain goes. You're like, oh, these people that are losing income. I mean, because I know that right now they're not having evictions, but I we get phone we're getting phone calls of people being like, I'm getting an evicted notice. I can't pay this because I haven't been able to get unemployment. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah. I. It, it's tough. Yeah. yeah so, go, I mean. Yeah. If you go to the Shore Leave website and you click on, on the left hand side, you click on vendors, they have the list of ones that are attending Shore Leave 42.5 or whatever. And the majority of them have websites. I was looking at them while Mike was talking a little bit. Oh, good. Yeah. So, so support your vendors, everyone. Support, support your local businesses get on their facebook pages you know get their local deliveries yeah yep no, no doubt by the way uh he was talking about uh the animated series i know miles will have you introduce it here in a second but i was looking like availability wise they released it on laser disc in 1990 laser disc that would be laser. awesome to own that Heavens to Betsy. I know. I'm not going to make fun of Laserdisc because I actually do have Betamax cassettes in one of my my little boxes in storage with a beta player that still works. Thank you very much. Awesome. But Laserdisc was a beautiful, had amazing fidelity for its time. I remember I, I've only, I I only recall watching two things on Laserdisc and I remember vividly. Uh, 2001 Space Odyssey, and I watched the animated Hobbit. Oh, so 
Those are the two things I watched. Well, uh, we're here to talk about the animated series tonight, and uh, we did kind of, uh, Mike kind of introduced us into his thoughts of it, but I thought maybe it'd be good to get a little bit of a preamble for it. Uh, Miles, why don't you go ahead and introduce the animated series to us, and then we'll uh, we'll start talking about what it was like for us to watch them and our thoughts on them. Sure. So back in the early 70s, uh, NBC approached Gene Roddenberry uh, to, to do an animated series, and he was up for that. And uh, so Filmation was uh, contracted to um, do the animation. Uh, some, some people may hear, hear the name Roy Shire. Uh, one of the, he was one of the, the uh, founders of Filmation. Filmation still exists today. It is uh, um, a subsidiary of uh, DreamWorks. However, CBS owns the rights to uh, Star Trek the Animated Series. Um, they um, were able to get uh, the, almost all the original actors to come back. Um, and we'll explore some of that with the fun facts. Um, but, um, yeah, they, so, so they, 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 they bring Star Trek back as an animated series, a cartoon, but, um, they told, I think they still told some great stories and we could talk about that more. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I mean, I did encounter the animated series only a few years ago, um, Miles, you were, I think, three or four when it came out. And uh, and I certainly uh, don't remember watching it when it came out. I don't think anyone else here is quite Definitely on reruns. Yeah, we're catching it on reruns mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't born. No. <laughs> so uh, watching the animated series, you know, this time or when you originally saw, saw it um, – my son, so I watched the two episodes. I, I watched the first one another time, uh, but this is the first time Kiefer, my son, had sat down and watched it with me. He goes, man, the animation's cheesy. But then, <laughs> but then when I got through yesteryear, he goes, Dad, you want to watch the next one? <laughs> and so, so even though the animation was cheesy, uh, that one especially had a lot of intellectual butterfly effect gymnastics going on that was kind of fun to kind of explore you know spock's backstory and uh so from personally you know even though it is you know 70s animation uh as an adult i'm able to look past that and saying oh there's some really good it's neat to see the people or hear the people back at least that kind of made the original series so awesome i i had a similar experience when i was playing the game arcanum the graphics were so terrible. If you've ever played Arcanum, Might and Magic, it's terrible, terrible graphics. But the story that they're able to tell was extraordinarily compelling, and it made me want to play, and it's made me want to play it again, uh, much more so than other video games that don't have as well put together a story. And I think that, you know, when you've, watch as much animation as I have probably more than I should admit um, with like anime and other like adult cartoons um, and even some like cartoons that were produced in like the 70s and 80s um, you know it, it definitely showed some pretty poor quality 
um, with regards to that. But the stories themselves were really good. And so I think that's probably, you know, what really matters is, is the story good? Is the substance great? So you can throw all, I mean, we saw this with the first three episodes of Star Wars. They like threw all this, you know, tons of animation and CGI. And we see this all the time with all the modern movies, but they just lack some soul. They lack substance. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess I did see that movie. What was the plot or the names? I don't remember because it was just a spectacle of flashy lights all over my face. Right. Yeah. I grew up in the era watching G.I. Joe and Transformers and all that stuff. So the animation really just felt the same for me. But it's interesting looking back on as an adult from an adult's perspective and looking at everything that went into it at the time and how long it took to actually create the animation for an episode. And then you start to realize how you got things like environmental belts instead of, you know, an environmental suit. It's just right. easier to put a little glow around the character, magic glow around them than actually have to redraw everybody in a, in a space suit. That's true. Yeah. But yeah, the, the storylines were bad and you could, they could do a lot more, I think with animation than they could on TV. I mean, I know Mike was talking about the, uh, that, that giant jellyfish looking like alien ship in the first episode and how you could ever build something like that on TV in the seventies. You know, you have a, you have a three armed alien navigator that, you know, the prosthetics alone to even try to do that back in the day would have been impossible to do, or certainly not cost effective. So yeah, it, it, the stories and things like that really make it make it hold up a little bit better. Right. M, how about you? Um. So filmation as a whole, like I remember a lot of these shows being a child of the seventies, and the animation was at the time amazing. Oh um, no! Right. And I remember. I don't know if you remember, I used to watch the reruns of Clutch Cargo, where it was just a picture with, like, the mouth cut out, and it was somebody's mouth kind of superimposed. So, like, those were, you know, I saw those and thought, oh, what crap. And then, you know, to see these other ones, um, I did watch the Star Trek animated series back then. I did not get a chance to watch it this week. But I, and they, as I look back, they're terrible. But I watch them nostalgically, right. especially like Secrets of Isis. I can't tell you how many times I would beg my brother, like, Give me, I don't want to play Superman. I want to play Isis. And we would like, I would beg, beg just to have like a dude. It was the only show with a girl on it other than Wonder Woman. So it made me happy. Right. It's, yeah. it's, it's nostalgia for me because I lived it. There you go. There you go. <laughs> So so did I. <laughs> yeah. Miles, what were your thoughts going back to these uh, these episodes? Um, alluding to what uh, Chrissy said, uh, there's some old stuff out there that, by today's standards, the animation was not great. However, you remember the stories told. You remember um, the. You, you know you, the, the characters' interactions with each other. Um, you remember the mo- you know, maybe there was a moral to the story they were trying to tell. You remember that stuff because the, 
it's it's you know you remember the story. You don't you don't remember whether the animation is always good or not. I mean, we we, we will talk about we. She mentioned movies that we will not speak of, uh, but because uh, but that that were had tremendous uh, production values, but you know questionable story. But but I I think I think these stories still hold up as far as um, so much so that a lot a lot of story elements in, in, in these episodes we'll, we'll we'll see them again they'll be used later on so much so even in um the kelvin timeline movies uh that they borrowed some stuff from that too so yeah the the animated series is sometimes forgotten but it's remembered by a lot of people and uh, you know they, they try to pay a loving homage to it in, in either an episode or even in a, in a star trek uh, tie-in novel Right. But going back, it was fun. It was fun watching these episodes again, and uh, especially uh, yesteryear. I, 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 I was kind of hitting the feels a few times, just watching Spock deal with his daddy issues with with, with Sarek. Right, right. I have friends who actually like the animated series over the over the original series, which. As as someone who I really don't remember them both well because I, I, I do need to sit down and watch them all. Like I I wanna sit and view all of them, just binge it through. Um it does that sound like for people who have seen them and, and have enjoyed them, enjoyed in quotes, um, like is that does that sound strange or do you have you have you had that conversation with other folks who really enjoy the animated series over um over uh, uh, TOS. I, that's the first time I've heard that before, to be honest with you. And honest to God, you four are the only other people I've known who have seen any of the animated series. So, <laughs> so wow. Yeah. So yeah. My, my thought on that um, is I wonder, you know, especially as, ch- as, as children watching the animated series, there's a sense of nostalgia that brings uh, and I think that as a child watching the original series, while that may have resonated, cartoons tend to resonate with us as children and stick with us. And maybe, and I don't know the whole backstory of this person that said this, um, but there might be some truth just from the nostalgia and that it resonated with that person maybe more than the original series did because, mm. of, because of that that aspect. I mean, they were the same writers as the original series. So, I mean, the, the way the stories hold up, it, it feels very original series, minus maybe the sexual tension that they kind of eliminated because they didn't want you know, to give that to kids and um, some other things. Uh, but, there, but you know, many of the writers were, were, were brought in from the original series, and uh, it gave them uh, – they said that many of the original series were part of the staff. So, Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But but you even see that kind of influence. <coughs> excuse me. With uh, you know, with other, I mean, looking at myself anyway from other cartoons that I watched when I was younger, and how much of that has stuck with me through my adulthood. Like, I mean, there there are so many times, especially at work, where you know I'll, I'll be talking to my crew and everything, and one of them pop up, oh. Well, now I know. And my initial response right out of G.I. Joe was, and knowing is half the battle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
it, it just resonates and sticks with you for so oh, long. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it, I guess it's a lot more influential, which will be really interesting to see on that same line when the next animated series comes on the Nickelodeon that, that CBS is putting out for Star Trek, how well that hits. And if there's ever something, I'm sure somebody would have a way to track it to see if those kids who are watching this grow up to be full-blown Trek fans or not. That'll be interesting. If their parents are doing their jobs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You yes, know, absolutely. I think one of the things that hit me as I was reading in this episode and uh, Miles, I think you hit it in one of your fun facts here, but I, I was impressed and I'm looking at it right now on Wikipedia because I was just I was fascinated by this. Um, you know, so they were only going to use Shatner, Nimoy and Forrest Kelly uh, doing and Barrett to actually do the voices. Um, but Nimoy said, I'm not going to do this unless Michelle Nichols and George Takei. Uh, are added because they are Sulu and Ahura proof that ethnic diversity in the 23rd century um, and should not be recast. Like they, they wanted them there because of ethnic diversity. And I think it hit me in a particular way because of, you know, the whole black lives matter movement and what's going on in our society that this is a, uh, this was being pushed for, you know, in the, even in the seventies and, and uh, this is a good example of, them really attempting to do something that really kind of represents us as a society and not uh, just the white, the white agenda. Right. Um, and so I thought that this was uh, when I was reading that, it just kind of hit me maybe in a different way that it wouldn't have, you know, in another time and place. Mm-hmm. Like very, very, uh, I know what the right word is. Uh, very, very timely. Right. But we're talking about this now. Right. Well, that's something that I've always like really respected about like the the science fiction world and in particular Star Trek was that they were always trying to promote an inclusive environment and imagine a world where you have more inclusive, you know, not just diversity of skin color, but also diversity of religion and diversity of, you know, species and like different ways of thinking and looking at the world. Yeah. Which I think is good. It's a good example of how people who have different viewpoints can come together, have civil conversations and walk away still friends. Something we need. Yeah, Mm. absolutely. Absolutely. And in Star Trek, seeing people of different nationalities, maybe even being from different planets, working together as a team to solve a problem. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I guess uh, uh, thoughts about these episodes. What are what are things that stuck out to you? We already kind of talked about the uh, the ship the, the in the first episode that that really was kind of allowed for a lot of creativity, you know, uh, what are some things, uh, that stuck out to you that really kind of hit you as you watched these two episodes? Well, whoever the, the bad guy or the foil is this, this magnetic being or AI, 
they didn't dwell on it too much is just because they only had so much time, but just like, okay, we have this, uh, thing, the, the sentient thing that's, um, that these aliens decided to, okay, it's a danger. We're just going to, um, air, air we're just going to, you know, blow the airlocks and, 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 and stop this thing from trying to get further. And this ship it tries to take over the enterprise. But then at the end of the episode, they somehow maroon it on this, what they call a negative star. As we can find some of the science in this is a little bad, uh, <laughs> But, um, that's, you know, that's okay. But isn't that a cornerstone of Star Trek? Though? Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know that Stephen Hawking's had explained black holes and things at that point in history. Mm, so, I mean, cause they, cause they said that they had like a team of scientists to consult and things. So they may have heard about this weird phenomenon of a super dense gravitational pull and just, called it a negative star and then Stephen Hawkins was like hold up guys yeah. that's that's wrong well that's not, the only, that's not the only thing they say you know when they say the ship is has been out in space for 300 million years that's when they say life um, you know start came about on earth 300 million years well we know that's wrong you know they, they, scientists theorized probably it was more like 3 billion years ago um, but it, it's techno babble it's you know they Start, sometimes Star Trek, if they didn't have real science, they, they made it up. But Star Trek Voyager. <laughs> well, you know, do you know what yeah. I what, what what hit me in this episode was Spock figuring out the translation so quickly of that bug species. I'm like, he's his hands just kind of floating over the buttons, and I'm like, oh, that's how that works. <laughs> he's good. He's really good. Now you have these Vulcans, they can translate anything. I like that they shot the phaser in the in the um, door and it opened. I don't know. You know I, don't I know thought that. about that too. <laughs> That's what I do, and I can't open a door in my house. I just pull out a gun and start shooting. It works every time. You know. You know what? <laughs> it does. <laughs> yeah. Is. 1974 is when Hawking's published a paper that contained one of the strangest ideas yet about black holes. So, yeah, so, yeah they wouldn't have known about that. They wouldn't know. They wouldn't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but he, they they still I, at least I thought so. I th- they made you feel just a little bit sorry for him when they managed to exile this thing on this planet, and he says, "Please, I'm so lonely." It's like. You know, you, you're a jerk, but yeah, I kind of feel sorry. Well, you could have just been nice for five minutes. I mean, but that just be nice. How hard is that? I know. I mean, he said, you know what? Well, can you take me to this planet? You know, just no, there's no he, he, this, this this thing tries to take over the ship and shuts down life support. It's like, you know, I just need a ride. Can somebody just give me a ride? You if know. you don't play nice, the other kids won't want to play in the sandbox with you. That is that is a life lesson. <laughs> Apparently someone has taken far more time to learn than they should have. Right, right. Very true, very true. Yeah. If Picard- but I think it was a Go ahead. But it was a, it was as far as an episode, you know, it I think it did a pretty good job of hitting the ground running. They they're out patrolling space and they and they find this ancient spaceship and uh, you, you as an audience get to see, okay, this is what the the live action series couldn't do. I mean, they, they, they couldn't, they, there's no CGI back then that, that they only built a handful of models. Sometimes a spaceship was just 
represented by this thing of blinking lights. Um, now they could draw something really cool. They could draw the interior of this ship and, and draw an alien that, you know, they, they couldn't really make a, like the right costume for. So this did expand the boundaries of what, what they could do as far as visually. Yeah. You know, talking about yesteryear, you know, I think what is appealing about this episode, number one, for diehard Trek fans, this is a throwback to the series, right? Yes. Uh, and so there's a nostalgia in it, but we're also getting through it um, some backstory to Spock that uh, certainly, uh, you know, his struggles, you talk about, you know, playing nicely in the sandbox, you see Spock struggling with that on the street as he fights with some of his, you know, he struggles to contain his emotions and then uh, you see that. Well, and what I liked in this one, this is not, this won't be the first time old Spock goes, travels back in time to help himself. Um, he'll, you know, he does it here. He'll do it in Star Trek 2009. Um, although that wasn't a purpose, but he's having a conversation with his younger self, just saying, it's not that Vulcans don't feel emotions. It's just, we've learned how to manage and control them. And so you, don't pretend you don't have emotions. You do. It's just you got to learn how to, you know, we, we learn how to control them, though. Yeah. Favorite line, he goes, when he says to his dad as a kid, he goes, Dad, my cousin taught me how to do this Vulcan nerve pinch. I can't wait to see my friends in the street, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Certain friend. Yeah. Although I never quite understood the depictions of young Vulcans bullying younger like it just doesn't make sense that that would have been allowed because it it that's coming from an emotion so like that that's that's always bothered me in every depiction of like younger spock of like these other kids being mean to him because i'm just like i don't think that the adults would allow that nearly as like not that we allow our kids to do that obviously and it's very hard to Stop, right. don't get me started on that whole subject. But culturally, it's, I don't know, it just doesn't make sense. Because you think that there would have been a level of, and there's almost like this level of shame that goes on with like expressing emotions. So, but is it an emotion? Because the Vulcans are arrogant AF. Yeah. <laughs> that is true. When that I, is true. Like when, I, when I've seen instances of that, like flashbacks or like, and and you hear about Spock's Spock's past and growing up. He wasn't he wasn't a one hundred percent Vulcan. He was half human, which according to the Vulcans, okay, you have warp, great. We're still smarter and better. And they would use facts as they would arrogance is is inherent in right. that kind of in in. In what they've written the, the, the Vulcan people to be, it's right. very rare that there would be a Vulcan character that wasn't arrogant about their intelligence, um, how their studies, what they've learned, how much work they've put into something. Um, even in um, there was a movie where Spock calls it out to another to another Vulcan, like it's your arrogance that 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 was your downfall. Right. Um, I it bugs me. But then as I thought about it, it's 
I, I don't feel like they're expressing an emotion. They are just expressing their an, a sense of arrogance and and belittling the fact that he's not a true Vulcan. That even even when he applied to school in the in the Star Treks that shall not be named for Dave. <laughs> Um, when, um, when he wanted to be part of the, the science council and they're like, you know, despite your many flaws and, and, and all BS, like, we, you know, we'll let you in. I mean, you're not Vulcan Vulcan, but you're, you know, Vulcan adjacent. Right. Um, so what we've learned is they're not as logical as they would like to think. Wow. See, there is one emotion Vulcans all, have always struggled to with, and that is assholery. <laughs> there you go. Right. Yeah. And that's what happens to people when you repress your emotions is you become an arrogant asshole. So there don't do go. that. There Learn to properly express and manage your emotions. So this has go. been your mental well-being, the more you know. There Girl, you that's a lesson for now, too. <laughs> that's a lesson that all of you listeners yes. take heart. Yes. Deal with your emotions. Well, you know, I I did think when we were talking about this. That the you know the the Kaswan, which is like what the place and I may maybe I'm pronouncing it wrong, but the, you know it's a place where the uh, Sarek talks to young Spock and says you're going to have to make a decision whether or not you're going to become Vulcan. So it's like at that point, and maybe there's a point kind of like in a, a rite of passage where at this point you now decide to become Vulcan and you adhere to really suppressing all your emotions and therefore um, you would no longer bully after that point. I mean, I don't know. Um, well, look but, at, but go ahead. Look at, look at your Amish neighbors. Yeah. Rumspringer, right? Rumspringer. I mean, they, they, at that point they choose whether or not, Hey, you're either taking this path or this path. And once you go, there's no turning back. Right. Well, the room sugar sounds a lot more fun than what the Vulcans have. <laughs> True. Yeah. It is. It is. I'm just saying. <laughs> it does. So for those of you interested in finding it, learning out more about Rumspringer, just look it up. There's tons of stuff online about it. But is uh <laughs> um those of us that grow up in uh the uh especially rural Lancaster County and Ohio and Florida has community and Virginia does. Um there are typically what is it, 16 to 18, 16 to 20? They yeah. have about uh, four years where Amish teens are allowed to live a more wild life than their uh, their religion typically allows, and then they have to make a decision at the end of it. Are they going to join the church or are they and turn their back and all that? Yeah. So this is kind of why it ties into what we're talking about with Spock. You ever hang out with any of them during that period of time, Scott, when you were younger? I was at a party one time. Yeah, they're fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, they are. They yeah. Are. They're fun. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Anyways, but that's, uh, but that's, so I, I thought maybe this was like, you know, once he makes his decision and commitment, then that stuff is more turned away. But I don't know enough about Vulcan culture to make a good judgment if that's actually what happens. I, I think, I mean, with, with Spock's case, half human, he's half Vulcan. I, I, I think it was a question of because you're, you're a child of of two two cultures, you, you got to decide which one you want to be. Yeah. Um, I mean, for the for, for the for the 
Vulcans who are full-blooded Vulcans, it was there was there was no choice but for him, he was going to have to decide because of because of his his mixed heritage, he, he would have to decide one way or the other. Was that was huh? that was that explored the most in the uh, in the first Kelvin movie? Is that the most backstory we get of Spock, except for this little smattering here and there? Uh, they they, yeah. they borrowed a lot of uh, from. From this ep- from from this episode, yeah. uh, there, there's a conversation between Derek and Spock that's almost verbatim between this and the animated series. It's it's uh, it's uncanny how how similar the material from from yesteryear is imported into um, uh, you know the Kelvin timeline movie, the first one. Yeah, and, and give in Spock's backstory. I mean, basically, J.J. Abrams just. He he just you know extract a lot a lot a lot of a lot of information from this put some of it in his own words but yeah I mean if you if, if after watching Star Trek 09, he was like wow JJ uh, definitely watched yesteryear yeah or or the writers did I should say uh, Orsi and Kurtzman did right right yeah what other thoughts about this uh, this this episode of uh of the second in the animated series. I have one, but I've been speaking a lot. So if somebody else wanted to uh, jump in, yeah. I have one more I thing I wanted it. to say. I'm at it, bud. Yeah, okay. go, go for uh, it. Go for it. Okay. Then I have, uh, then I have uh, just a few things I want to comment on too. So, well, this, this, this episode uh, addresses a very, for, for a ch- child's show, this, I mean, you, you, you you have a thing with you know a son and his dad not always getting along and trying to work that out but you also have um, a very sensitive subject of euthanasia um, right uh, and, and this was uh, the the NBC was concerned about maybe this is good this is a little too sensitive for for kids to, to watch. Uh, but but after after showing it, they got no negative feedback. If anything, they got positive feedback. It's just a lot of parents said, "Hey, this was actually you know we sometimes having to put down an old pet is just part of life." And mm-hmm. this this episode did it in a way that was you know sensitive, but uh, just um, sensitive and dignified, but done in a good way that you know. It, this is this is a part of life, and 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 it's it's not something you you should ignore either. So, young Spock has to has to uh, put down because his pet, you know, got got poisoned by this creature that was trying to kill to eat them. And so the the the, 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 the Spock's pet dies a hero's death, but you know they and, and young Spock has the option to either prolong his pet's life or to give his pet a, a dignified peaceful death and he opts opts for the latter uh this was this was this was pretty groundbreaking at the time yeah i can imagine yeah it's interesting i you know the other uh and I, that did stick out to me i'm glad you uh mentioned mentioned that as well um it was uh it was interesting, you know, the butterfly effect when they come back and no one knows who Spock is. I thought that was kind of fascinating too. Um, the time travel stuff was fun. 
Yeah, well, you're you're a big time travel person, Miles, too. I am. <laughs> <laughs> we, we know that. Um, though I did think a couple of things. First of all, I, I don't know what I don't know what it costs to put an animated ser- episode out these days, but they, they were NBC was so interested in this. They gave uh, they gave uh, Ron Baron Filmation seventy five thousand per episode to produce it with full creative control in Gene Roddenberry's hands. And they budgeted two, 22 episodes from the get-go with a, it was a guaranteed minimum of 22 seasons, 22 episodes. So I thought that's kind of interesting because uh, $75,000, seems, it seems like a lot, but maybe it's not. I don't know how what it costs to put up an episode when you take inflation and everything else these days. But Yeah. Um, and I did think that the... Um, the first three episodes, uh, they said well, was the, that was the only time all the actors were in the same room and uh, were were uh, recording together. So, but yeah, most of the time that you know, he, well, William Chatton would record his lines on a, on a cassette recorder and, and somehow get it to the um, the producer. A cassette recorder. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, and, really? and when you do voiceover work, you record it on a cassette and you just mail it in, right? Yeah, I have a, I have my old, um, my old like Fisher Price that came with a microphone connected to it. Good, good. That's exactly how I put down my line for, <laughs> for my Doctor Who show. Yeah, yeah, totally. nice. 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 No, no. I mean, why bother getting a three hundred dollar microphone and expensive software when you could just like. Oh, it's his Radio Shack on it. Perfect. This is timely. <laughs> That's awesome. Put yeah. it on your Home Alone 2 talk boy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, so. Uh, yeah. Everyone knows that retro is in right now. So that, it is. That's the way it to is. go. Yeah. What you guys call retro, I call childhood. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very, very good. Well, right back at you, Emma. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Miles and I will just go and like, We've got an AARP meeting, and be sure to pop your Gerasol, Miles. <laughs> I will. Yeah. Just, my, new, my new walker just showed up, yeah. too, so I'm so excited. Next con, hey, we'll be chasing my, each my other around with our wheelchairs. My becoming retro, so, <laughs> so you know. <laughs> yeah. Yours is now going to be vintage. Yeah. Well, is there anything else to say about these episodes before we uh, wrap up the show here? We should say uh, the, the, the series – Gave Star Trek its only Emmy Award uh, in oh, 1975. That is it, important. It, it got a daytime Emmy Award in the area of best uh, children's series, and uh, that's that that that's a great accomplishment. Good job, guys. That yeah, is. And to, to I guess save money on paying other actors, uh, N- Nichelle Nichols, um, Mandel Barrett, Ron Berry, and James Doohan. Uh, not only voiced their own characters, but they voiced the other, you know, other characters, um, supporting characters on the show. Right. Well, and that was good because Ahura had like, like virtually like one or two lines, and that was it. <laughs> so yeah, it was great to see uh, other other lines were spoken by her. And of course, Walter Kanick wasn't even uh, in the series, um, but they uh, at least bought a script from him for one episode at least. <laughs> right. And that was a great episode. Uh, he wrote one called the infinite Vulcan. Right. Right. Very good. 
Well, awesome. Well, so in retrospect, the series was kind of, it's almost like they didn't have to sell the series. Like a pilot is kind of pitched saying, hey, let's do this series. Do you want to, do you want to continue it? In this case, NBC kind of came knocking on Ron Mary's door and said, let's do this. And they scripted all 22 episodes. There was, the future was not in doubt, you know? Right. They were going to get, they were, they were going to get at least, you know, a season, maybe two seasons. And they got two, two seasons. It was, they didn't really have to sell anybody on this, like you said. Right. So a little bit different than some of the, uh, uh, some of the series, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, very good. Well, awesome. All right. So the next, uh, it looks like the next one we'll be doing is the next gen. We're going to try and get Nemechek on that. And uh, Miles, I guess you'll be reaching out. And uh, what are we looking at? Uh, July 21st? Yes. That'll work. And uh, awesome. So uh, go back and rewatch next gen and give us your thoughts on how this setup. This is the first live action Star Trek that we had seen in over 20 years. Is that about right? For, 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 we're, we're getting the movies, but as far as a, a regular TV series, yeah, that'd be correct. Yeah. Wow. Very good. Mm-hmm. Well, but so. uh, listeners, if you want to uh, learn more about uh, Star Trek, the animated series, there was a great book put out just a few years ago by Aaron Harvey and Rich uh, uh, Sepsius called uh, Star Trek, the official guide to the animated series. I, I got a copy of it. It's got some great pictures, but goes through all the episodes. Lots of fun facts. Uh, if you're a Star Trek fan, this, this is something that should be in your library. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, we'll have another show in two weeks. We're just kind of do general news and what's going on in the world of science fiction, what's going on in our worlds. And uh, so we'll be doing that show between now and the next show episode. But thank you for everyone that joined us on this journey through the animated series. I would encourage you, if you have a CBS membership, uh, you can easily watch it there. And there's other places you can probably watch it online that I won't tout now. But um, uh, you can obviously look it up at your own leisure if you really want to do that. And uh, But thank you so much for joining us. I think that's about it. Am I missing anything? Mm, I don't think so. I think we, we covered it. Awesome. Well, Miles, why don't you take us out of the show? All right. Till next time, good night. And good luck. We'll see ya. Do your dearlies. Leave your tips on the table. And go boldly. <laughs>